Welcome, and thank you for downloading Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Here at Movement, we are passionate about God's Word and helping each other move closer to God. Thank you for choosing to grow with us today. And now, here's our lead minister, Bobby Wallace. Man, uh, when I was a kid, one Christmas, I had been wanting and wanting and wanting um, this, this particular spaceship. I'm almost embarrassed to tell you like the name of the whole like character thing because it makes me look really old because 70% of y'all probably never even heard of this character. But I guess I was like on the backside of this guy named Buck Rogers. Anybody remember Buck Rogers? <laughs> Like two of y'all. But I mean, it's like, I barely remember. I don't remember anything about the whole thing, but there was a spaceship that I wanted, and I had been wanting, wanting, wanting for Christmas, and I get it at this big family get-together. I come from, like, both sides of my family. My mom and my dad both are one of five kids, and so there was tons of, like, cousins and aunts and uncles and all that sort of stuff. And so we get together for this one side of the family, and I'm opening my presents, and I see this one box. I open it up, and man, it's this spaceship. And man, I'm so, I'm like, yeah! I'm like, I'm excited. I'm pumped. Woo! I'm ready to go. And so I'm like, oh man, I've been waiting for this thing. I was a really young kid. And all of a sudden, my cousin comes walking through and steps on it, steps on it, and breaks the front landing gear thing, the little foot. After I got done punching her, no, I'm just kidding. Now, uh, I was like, I was, I was crushed because, I mean, it's still like, it's still like, you know, flu, right? You know, because you just fly it with your imagination anyway. But it just, it wasn't the same, right? It just, it was a total, total letdown because, you know, it won't, let, it won't sit on the ground, right? It's all like broken and crashed. And, and so it's like, man, I was just so, so disgusted. And have you ever had a gift like that that you just had pumped up in your mind so long and then you get it and it's just sort of a letdown? You ever had something like that? Especially, you know, this time of year, Christmas. Um, this also is like showing my age. Uh, another toy that made a big comeback when I was a kid. And every so often, every few years, this toy makes a comeback. And I'm yet to understand why. Um, anybody remember a slinky? Yeah, a slinky. So I had been wanting a slinky, and I never thought about the fact that I live in a one-story house. I mean, the only thing good about a slinky is what, if anybody knows what it is, if you don't know what it is, it was basically this metal spring, this like coil that would stretch out really, really far, and you could start at the top of the stairs, and it would go down, and it would, it would climb down the stairs because just, you know, inertia, whatever, momentum, all that sort of stuff. And, it, you know, it was this, this like really supposedly cool thing, but I only have a one-story house, and so I get it. I had some steps going into the back door of my house, and you know, I set the, the slinky up, one, two, and then we're done, right? I mean, it was a total letdown. But some of y'all that are more um, <clears throat> mature than me, there is a toy that thankfully I missed out on because I know I'd gotten this toy and I'd been so mad. I'd been punching people again, right? This toy was previous to my, so this tells you it's old, right? Pet Rock. Anybody ever heard of that? I've, I've seen like stuff on the internet about it, you know, about Pet Rock. Like literally, some, somebody was a stinking genius, I'll tell you that. They convinced a bunch of people, probably millions of people, to spend money on a stinking rock and said, oh, it's your pet rock, you know? And so you bought a rock and it just laid there, I guess, right? Is that, is that what it was? Anybody that's old enough? Nobody's willing to say they remember those things because like, I'm not that old. I'm not that old. But we've all had that, right? We've all had these things. We've all had these gifts that we just built up in our mind. But then when it came time to, you know, to get it, it just was sort of a letdown. You know, faith can kind of be that way sometimes. 
Um, faith, at least if you've been around church a little bit, you hear these Bible stories. And you see these people, these heroes of the faith, men and women who just live these incredible lives and accomplish these incredible things for God. And then maybe, you know, you've been around church for a little bit and hopefully you've been around some people in the here and now, some everyday people who live these incredible lives of faith. Or you've heard about, um, you know, you've read stories on the internet or you heard, you know, preachers tell stories about these people who live this tremendous life of faith and do these amazing things for God. And then you kind of look at your faith and you're like, you ever felt that way? It's like, why, why is my faith not strong like theirs? Why haven't I accomplished some of these big, amazing things? Why hasn't God called me to do this? Why haven't I got this sense of like, oh God, here's what, I, here's what I, you want me to do. I'm going to go do it. So what do we do when we look at our faith and it kind of feels like a letdown? I just want to address the elephant in the room you know some of us might be thinking well my faith doesn't look like that I have a hard time believing and trusting God for these big things maybe God is disappointed in me but I'll tell you this because I've wrestled with that same question and I probably will continue to wrestle with that same question maybe God's disappointed in me but one of the things when I'm thinking clearly and when I'm looking at the Bible in the right way and I'm seeing the way God is interacting with people is that his people all of us throughout history have been knuckleheads, right? I mean, we have been a mess. I mean, the greatest, and I always say, this is one of, to me, one of the greatest proofs that the Bible is truly the word of God. Because if it was a man-made story, we would make sure that all of the heroes look perfect, right? You know, I mean, we try to do that. When we make up our own stories, we say, oh, the hero of the story, he or she is just strong and never messes up. You know, it's just this perfect thing. But when God tells about the people that he uses as his heroes, he often shows their flaws, and a lot of them are really horrible flaws. Their faith wasn't always the way that it was when they accomplished these great things. And so here's what I want you to know. Don't believe the lie that God is disappointed in you, that God doesn't want to use you, and that God thinks that you're junk, that you're a mistake. So what do you do? What does it look like to have this faith that makes a great impact? You know, what does it look like to have a faith that really changes lives? What does it look like to have a faith that really changes the world? There's somebody I want to look at that you may not have ever really even heard about in Scripture. It would be easy to sort of skip over him because, I mean, there's some cool stories in like First and Second Kings, but then there's a lot of stuff that's like, son of Jabba-blah-blah and Jibla, and you know, like, he was king for 37 seconds. I mean, it's like a lot of it is, is hard to follow. But there's a king that I want us to look at from 2 Kings chapter beginning in 21. 2 Kings chapter 21. We're going to have scripture on the screen, but of course you can follow along in your Bible if you like on your Bible app. 2 Kings 21. But I want to look at this king that you might not have ever thought about. You know, if you've been around the Bible a little bit or you've been coming to church for a while, you probably heard King David, you probably heard King Solomon, maybe King Saul. But this is a king that I want us to take a look at because I think we can learn some powerful lessons about what real life-changing biblical faith looks like. His name was King Josiah, King Josiah. My wife loved that name, and um, she wanted to name our first son, Luke, Josiah. And I was like, nah, I don't want to do that. It's like maybe the next kid. We had another kid, Daniel, comes along. She was like, I want to name this kid Josiah. And I'm like, nah, I'm, I'm good. 
I'm thinking, okay, we're having two kids. That's probably about it. Wrong. We had a third. I finally said, okay, we'll name him Josiah. All right, we got a Josiah. And I was like, okay, we're done now. Nope, we, we still, we're still going. <laughs> we, got, we ended up with five kids. You know, it, it's an amazing thing. Uh, but Josiah is this king that is often overlooked. And he's, his dad was named Amon. Amon. And so we're going to read first about Amon. 2 Kings chapter 21, look at verse 20. He did evil, that is Amon, did evil in the eyes of the Lord, as his father Manasseh had done. He followed completely the ways of his father, worshiping the idols his father had worshiped and bowing down to them. He forsook the Lord, the God of his ancestors, and did not walk in obedience to him. So Amon was a guy who was just an ungodly guy. He was supposed to be the king to lead people to really be closer to God, but he was a mess. And guess what? He inherited that from his father before him. His father Manasseh, what kind of guy? Same kind of guy, right? So here's what's interesting. Manasseh was a bad guy. Amon was a bad guy. You see, Amon was so bad that his own officials, the people that were right underneath him that kind of made sure all of his stuff got done, these officials teamed up against him and killed him. They killed him. And then, to make it worse, the people went and killed his officials. And so they decided, we're going to set up a new king. So Amon's son is next in line. We're going to set him up as king. But what's interesting is I don't think they thought this through. They set up a king who was, guess what, eight years old. Can you imagine that? You know, can you imagine, uh, I, mean, I mean, we think about the presidents that we get sometimes that are adults, you know, it's like, uh, this guy's going to have his finger on the button, so to speak, you know, of course that's pre that, but you know, his eight-year-old guy is going to be a king. If his chicken nuggets are overcooked, I'm going to kill y'all, you know, I mean, you know, it's like crazy, but here he is, he's king, he's eight years old. But here's what's interesting. Look at 2 Kings 22, beginning in verse 1. Josiah was eight years old when he became king. He reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. His mother's name was Jedidiah, daughter of Adiah. She was from Bozkath. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed completely the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. And so he decides that he had a bad example in Amon. He had a bad example in his grandfather. He... Sorry. Dance break. <laughs> but... He decided that he was not going to look to the previous two generations' example. He's going to go back several generations to his father, as it says, his forefather. You can kind of understand. His forefather, David. I'm going to look to that guy. What was David described as? A man after God's own heart. Now, back to what I said at the beginning about the heroes' things and their flaws. He was called a man after God's own heart, but he was a, he was a train wreck, right? David made a lot of bad mistakes. He was a godly man in a lot of ways, but he, was a, he made a lot of mistakes. So Josiah says, I'm going to follow David's example. And that, that's powerful, y'all. That's powerful. This kid was eight years old and had enough wisdom to say, man, my dad didn't do things right. And my granddad didn't do things right. And then look how he's described at the end of the account of his life. It's just a couple of chapters here that talk about Josiah a whole lot. 2 Kings 23, look at verse 25. It says, Neither before nor after Josiah 
Was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his strength, in accordance with all the law of Moses? So this, this young guy, this, this kid, decides, I'm not going to follow the examples of my dad or my granddad. I'm going to go back and look at King David, who was this godly man, made some mistakes, but a godly man. And it says that because of that, because of his great faith, he was willing, he was considered one of the best kings ever. Nobody before or after has been like him, just such a faithful, good, godly person. I'd call that impactful faith, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you call that impactful, life-changing faith? So as I said a moment ago, what, how do we get that? Yeah, I mean, it's one thing to read about it, but that's a big, broad statement about 30-some years of this guy's reigning as king, and it just boils it down to a couple of phrases or sentences. So here's one of the things I believe we can look at Josiah's life and we can learn. Here's the first idea. I want you to sort of store this away. Biblical life-changing faith looks like taking a stand when others won't. That's one of the, the simplest things. It's not easy, mind you, but it's simple. It's a simple idea that when everybody else is doing wrong, you decide, I'm going to do what's right. Now, it's not easy, right? But it's a simple concept. But that's the thing. We've got to take that simple concept and we've got to put it into practice, Josiah was willing to stand when everybody else would not. He was a king. He had ultimate authority. He had ultimate authority. But how did he become king? His father was murdered by people who didn't like what he did, and then they were murdered by other people. What I'm saying is he was a king, but there was a lot of pressure. If I don't get this right, if I don't do what everybody wants, what could happen to me is what he's thinking. He could be killed. So it was, just because he's king doesn't mean that he gets full reign to do whatever he wants because this was a crazy time when people's hearts were far, forgot, heart, far from God. So I ask you this question. Are you willing to stand when others won't? Are you willing to stand when others don't want to follow God? You ever heard the phrase that's become really popular now about breaking generational curses? There's a lot of people who choose not to break all the curses of the generations that come before them. You know, they decide they're going to live in the same stuff, and it's hard sometimes, but you can, you can change everything. But we've got to be willing to say, I'm going to stand when nobody else will. Even if I stand alone, I'm going to stand. I'm going to honor God, and I'm going to do what he calls me to do. His grandfather and his father were a mess. They were sinful guys. They were wicked guys. And he decided that he went up against the, the patterns of his ancestors. I want to tell you about one of my early ministries, my first preaching ministry, actually where there was this family who was um, sort of not notorious in like this evil sense, but they were just well known that only the women in their family came to church for, for generations. Only the women came to church. The men just would stay home. They didn't have faith. They didn't think about God, talk about God a lot. They would not go to church. And then there was this young boy who he was, uh, you know, one of the children in that family. And his mom and his grandma would bring him to church. And he was so excited about Jesus. He was so excited about Jesus. He wanted, he said from an early age, you know, probably seven or five or six or even eight years old, he's like, I want to be a preacher one day. And everybody in the back of their mind knew it's only a matter of time, and what? He's probably going to stop coming to church. 
because he's got generation after generation after generation of learning men in our family, what? Don't go to church. And his dad, I, I had a, tried to have a relationship with his dad who didn't come to church. Other people kept trying to have a relationship, and we kept praying, and we kept praying. And finally, we had an opportunity where he did something special at church. We, I forgot exactly what it was. But I, I went to him, and I said, hey, do you wanna, we, we want you to come to church. We, you want to see your son do this thing at church, right? And he comes. And that broke the ice. And over time, he started coming more regularly. He started coming more regularly. All of a sudden, his dad, this guy who, you know, his father had never gone to church, and his father had never gone to church, and his father had never gone to church. Now this young boy's got his dad with him at church, and man, his dad decides to get baptized, and a few years later, as he gets older, this young boy gets baptized. Now this young boy is a, a deacon in a church and serving in ministry, and his dad is involved in ministry. And I'm telling you, you can change all the things of your ancestry. You don't have to go down the same path of everybody else. Even if you're the only one, stand. Because just because you're the first in a long line of being different, you might be the first in a long line of being faithful. Somebody's got to start it. And it's got to be you. Because I'm here to tell you that it's not going to be anybody else. It's got to start with you. Because if everybody takes the attitude of, oh, it can be somebody else, it's probably never going to happen. So he was willing to stand even when others won't. And, and I say this, and in theory, we can be in here and we can say, oh, man. And even when, in things of faith, I've seen a lot of people who will believe teachings in, that aren't in the Bible, and they'll keep believing them. Even when they read the Scripture and they say, well, that's not what I was taught but that's what my family believes. And they won't accept it. And, and I say, come on, you gotta stand even when others won't. And people reject biblical teaching. I, I don't know how many Bible studies I've sat and had with people looking at what the Bible teaches about baptism. And they'll say, yeah, I see what it says, I see what it says. And then they'll say something like, well, yeah, but my grandma didn't believe that. So I can't. And as we talked about a few weeks ago, it's like I, God is good, and he is the good judge, and we, we trust him to make the right decisions, but we've got to be faithful to what God's word says. And so many people will say, well, I just can't believe this, even though I see it in scripture, because that's not what my mom or my dad or, or somebody before me, but you know what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 37? He said, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He says, I've got to come before anybody in your family. You've got to be faithful and true to me before anybody else. So are you willing to go against your family tree when it comes to your faith in God and to be faithful to God? You see, life-changing faith required taking a stand even when he was young. I mean, he, could, he had plenty of excuses, right? He could have said, well, I'm only eight years old. I'm not going to start doing things. I, later on, when I get older, I can really stand for myself, and I don't get pushed around by all these advisors and all that sort of stuff. I'm going to get faithful then. But he said, no, from day one, he had to do this. So what does that tell us? Have you ever said that to yourself? You know something that you need to do for God, and you're like, well, I'll do that a little bit later on. Right now, it's just not the time for me. You need to learn from Josiah and start being faithful right now. Because chances are, if you don't start now, you'll never do it. 
Don't say, you know, I'm going to get serious about my faith in Christ later on when I get a little bit older. You know, so many people say that. You know, I'm just a teenager now. I can't do that. Or, you know, I, right now I'm in my, in my 20s. I'm single. I can do what, you know, I'll get serious about God later. But no, start right now. Because today's patterns become tomorrow's ruts. The pattern that we start today can quickly become a rut. And you've heard me say it many, many times if you've been here a few times, that a grave is nothing but a rut with the ends closed in. If you stay in a rut long enough, it becomes a grave. And so start right now. Josiah was willing to take a stand when others wouldn't. And the question is, are you and I, are we willing to stand when others won't? You see, life-changing faith looks like this also. Prioritizing your relationship with God. Prioritizing your relationship with God. He took a stand when others wouldn't, and he prioritized his relationship with God. You, know, you guys ever heard of, uh, you ever call somebody your bae? <laughs> You know, it's like, you know, your baby, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, you know, bae, and it stands for, basically it stands for before anyone else. They're the one. They're the one before anybody else. You know, I'm sure there's other, you know, if you look on Urban Dictionary, it's probably all kinds of crazy answers, but that's the basic idea, right? Before anyone else. And we've got to treat our relationship with God like that. I'm going to put my relationship with God before anybody, anything else. He is going to come first. Like he said there in the Gospels that we just read, you can't even love your mom or dad more than me. You've got to love me first, and then everybody else comes second. In the 18th year of King Josiah's reign, he commanded the temple to be repaired. He said, give them the money. He said, don't even, don't even worry about an accounting. They're trustworthy people. Get them to rebuild the temple. It's the place where God dwelled in the Old Testament. They didn't have the presence of God unless everything was the way it was supposed to be. And when they're doing this, when they're rebuilding and repairing the temple, guess what? They find the book of the law. Okay, for us, that might not make a lot of sense. Right then, okay, this is Old Testament. All they had was Torah. And what has happened is they hadn't had the book of the law in a long time. And so they were just relying mostly on, you know, they may have had some copies, but mostly it was the oral tradition. And so they had not had God's word in its fullness to them for, for quite some time. And so they were just sort of playing it by ear. And what happened was is they got off track really bad because they hadn't had God's word. Imagine that what would happen in our world today. How many of you have the Bible memorized? Not me. <laughs> I've got some verses memorized, but imagine we woke up tomorrow, we opened up our phones, and we get ready to click on the Bible app, and nothing. And people come along with guns, and they confiscate, and they take every paper Bible that we got. How quickly do you think that the church, Big C, would be in a mess. It'd be, it'd be quick. I mean, it's in a mess now, right? People have the Bible and they don't read it <laughs> because we don't know. And so they haven't had God's word in a long time. They find God's word in the rubble, in the wreckage, and they bring it before the king. And here's what it says in verse, uh, 2 Kings chapter 22, verse 10. It says, then Shaphan, the secretary, informed the king, Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a book. And Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. Verse 11, when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. 
He heard God's word for the first time maybe in his entire life, and he was heartbroken. That was a common thing. If you were, if you were mourning, if you were brokenhearted, if you were repentant, you would rip your clothes because you were showing just how upset you were that you had hurt God. And he realizes, oh my goodness, we have been completely off from God's word, God's truth. You see, this young guy, he wasn't, still wasn't very old, 18 years into, you know, 26 years old, 26 years old, he cared about spiritual things. He wanted to repair God's dwelling place. He showed that he cared about the spiritual things. He prioritized spiritual things. And when he heard God's word, how did he respond? He began putting God's word above all else, before everything, all other things. 2 Kings chapter 23, look at verse 2. It says, he went up to the temple of the Lord with the people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets, all the people from the least to the greatest. He read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the temple of the Lord. The king stood by the pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commands, statutes, and decrees with all his heart, with all his soul, thus confirming the words of the covenant written in the book. Then all of the people pledged themselves to the covenant. So what does he do? He hears what they've been missing out on, and he says, look, we've got to renew this covenant, our relationship with God. We've gotten so far off. We're a mess, y'all. And he says, everybody, no matter how big or small you are, we're going to come together, and we're going to do this. We're going to follow God, because I am putting God first in my life, and as a leader of you guys, we all got to do it. And so I'm inviting you and I'm actually commanding you to come along. He's willing to do it. And then chapter 23 consists of him sending out soldiers and people to go and just wreck shop. He realized that there were so many things that they were attributing to God but were completely ungodly. Does that sound like our world today? He realized that things were a mess and they were just in a shambles. And so he goes along and he makes sure they get rid of any false god, any image, the priests and the priestesses that worship those and led people astray in this. He made sure they got rid of them. I'm not going to go into too much detail, but you understand what happened there. He got rid of any semblance of idol worship. He's like, look, we're getting rid of it all. He started burning stuff. I mean, he's like, I'm not just going to throw it out. We're going to burn it. It's going to be destroyed. He would burn stuff on their altars, which means they couldn't use their altars, and then he would probably break the altars. And one of the greatest things he did was he stopped the sacrifice of children that was used in the worship of the false god Molech. And he said, no more. He tore down those and made sure they couldn't be used. And then it says, it points out, he went and tore down the quarters of the male shrine prostitutes. And then, this this is where it's weird. And and some people are like, man, you're doing too much. (laughs) You're doing too much, Josiah. It says he goes and he destroys the place where the worshipers of Asherah would weave garments. Josiah, I don't know if you know, but we need clothes. You know, I mean, easily people could have said, we need clothes, and these people are performing a service. You know, they could have easily said, and I guarantee you there were people who thought it and they may have said it. They're like, look, we need clothes. Why go and mess up the place where our clothes get made? Yeah, it was made to honor a false goddess, you know, this fertility goddess, but we know that she's not real. We know that the one true God is, is, is real, and so we just need clothes. We, but what do you think? No, we got to get rid of what? all of it 
because we know that we've gotten far from God and that's what got us in trouble in the first place is what? Doing what we thought was right. But it's God's word that's right. Nothing was left behind. He even went and tore down the high places of worship that other kings had set up. He's like, I don't care. If you're king before me, I don't care. I'm tearing it down because it's not in God's word. And so here's why I'm saying all this. Y'all still with me? If you want life-changing faith, you have to put God's word above all. If you really want it to change things, Francis Chan famously said, whenever I come across something in the Bible that I disagree with, I have to assume that I am wrong. But that's not the attitude of a lot of people. A lot of people say, well, yeah, well, that's just a different, that's just your interpretation. Or, you know, they do this kind of like, you know, spiritual gymnastics, contortionism. They say, well, you know, if you just take this verse, and this, this verse is better than that verse, That's not what God's called us to do, right? He's called us to listen to him, all of it, his word. And so listen to his word, and then we'll start to see life-changing faith. And so you see in Josiah this willingness to repent, right? He could have said, let's take it slow, but no, he said, no, we're changing everything. What? Right now, I'm changing. We're going to change together. He was willing to stand alone. You know, he's like, we're going to do this, and when nobody else is, I'm going to do what's right. And so here's what I want you to do. Here's how you apply that. I want you to consider every aspect of your life. Say, God, help me to look at myself through the lens of your word and everything that I do, everything that I think, everything I say, help me to see what you want me to do. What do I need to change? What do I need to work on? What do I need to correct? What do I need to get rid of? What do I need to add in? Every aspect of his life. He didn't allow any area to be overlooked. So what areas is God calling you to repent in? What areas is God saying, look, you got to get this stuff out of your life. You thought that you were doing right, but you're wrong. You thought that you knew what you were doing, but you've gotten off course. What areas are you neglecting? What areas do you need to add something from God's word into your life? But I want you to know this. Not the smartest guy in the world, but I have caught on to this. Even as you take stands of faith, when you finally get the courage up to say, all right, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to follow God. I'm going to do what he wants. I'm going to prioritize my relationship with God. The reward of faith can be hard to see, can it? Have you ever done the right thing and still gotten punished for it? Yeah, it's going to happen. There are going to be times when it seems like it's hopeless. It's going to seem like, why do I do the right thing? Because it's like, I do the right thing and I always get kicked for it, you know, and it's just hard. But I want to tell you, I know that that's true. And here's the deal. Josiah was told that he would be spared because the people had been so bad for so long because his father and his grandfather and many other kings before had been so rebellious. And you hear all the stuff. If you go back and read 23, and I, I just touched on the highlights of the stuff that he destroyed. 
They had been so far from God. He's like, God had told him, he said, look, I'm going to spare you. I'm still going to punish Jerusalem. I'm still going to remove my presence from them. They're going to be in a mess. They're going to be taken off into captivity by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. It's going to be a mess, but I'm going to spare you from dealing with this because you've been so good and so faithful. I, basically, I'm going to spare you of the heartbreak of seeing my place, my people's home destroyed and fallen. And guess what? He didn't go out like Elijah and get taken up in a chariot of fire. Another king comes to war against them of, of Egypt, and he goes out into battle. And the way it describes it is he goes out into battle, and like one of the first things that happens is he gets killed. I can imagine, I, this is just me, and I'm human, and I always tell everybody I'm not perfect, and a lot of y'all say, amen, praise Jesus, we know that's true. But I think if that had been me, I would have opened up my eyes, maybe in the presence of God, be like, what? Really? I deserve a little bit better send-off than that, just the first one, smack down in battle, right? Yeah, you said you were going to spare me from that, but that's not what I was thinking. I was wanting some pomp and some circumstance. That, you know, that's the way my mind would probably work. I'm not as spiritual as y'all, evidently. But we got to understand that he was spared from seeing the heartbreak of seeing God's home and God's chosen people's place being destroyed. And if we're being honest, that just doesn't seem very merciful and that doesn't seem very gracious. And I'll be the first one to admit that sometimes when it comes to faith and following God, some things just don't make sense. They just don't make sense. I think sometimes we think that if we just have a little more faith, that we'll understand more, right? That if we gain more faith, then we'll start to have more knowledge. I won't wonder anymore, I won't doubt, I won't question, I'm gonna get to this point where it's like, it's like you're filling up a gas tank, right? You're filling up and then when it clicks, it's full, right? And so you kinda of feel like that way. I'm gonna just have more faith and more faith and more faith and one day, boom, I'm gonna be full and I won't struggle anymore, I won't worry, I won't question, I won't get angry at God, I won't shake my fist, I won't wonder what's going on. Anybody ever thought that? I'm the only one? I'll stay home and preach myself next week. Okay. <laughs> I think all of us have been there. As we feel like we're going to reach this point, we look at other people and we're like, yeah, they're full. They understand. They got all this. It's not faith anymore. It's knowledge. They know these things. But faith is similar yet different from knowledge. Hebrews 11 verse 11 says this. Faith is the, as the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now, as you follow Jesus, your faith can get really firm on some things. Uh, I mean, yeah, you, it absolutely. There are things that I have tremendous faith in God on that it almost becomes like knowledge. But then there are other areas and ideas in your life, things of faith in your relationship with Jesus, and you're always going to need that trust. I hate to break it to you, but you're always going to need that trust. And I know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Have you ever felt that tension of, like we talked about last week, that word, that tension of waiting for hope? Have you ever felt that tension of wondering when it's going to get easier to follow God? I think you have. So I want you to listen to this thing. Uh, look at it on the screen. The reality is the results of living by faith actually lead you to places where you need more faith. I'm sorry. <laughs> it stinks. 
He really does at times because we're imperfect. We're people who are a mess. And the results of living by faith actually lead you to places where you need more faith. And that's hard to wrestle with. That's hard to bear that burden of. But think about this for a second. Have you ever looked at or seen a documentary? Maybe you've been one, an open water swimmer. You know, people that are crazy enough to go swim at a shark's house. You know, I'm all about swimming up to like about here in the ocean. And some people think I'm crazy for that. But like people that go out where you can't see anything down below you, they swim out in the deep, deep ocean, these open water swimmers. Most of them, they probably start off in a pool. You know, they probably start off swimming in a pool, gaining their strength. They start to tread water, you know, like just be able to sit there and move as little as possible to keep themselves up. And then they start to swim out maybe in, in a open water and they swim, you know, closer to the shore, fighting the waves, all that sort of stuff. And then they get a little farther out. You know, they, they you know, go a half mile out, half mile back. That's a mile, you know, then they stretch out a little bit. But I think one of the things that you learn is when you're doing stuff like that, that the greater distances that you swim from the shore don't actually become easier. They actually require more endurance and strength, right? If you continue to go farther and farther and farther, you're just going to need more endurance. You're going to need more strength. But here's the thing. You can gain some peace. You can gain some strength and some endurance because you realize that the earlier experiences, the, the shorter swims prepared you for the medium swims. And then the medium swims prepared you for the longer swims. And that longest swim that you ever took is preparing you for what? The next longest swim. And that what you need to understand is that these trials that you go through and these, these tests of your strength and your endurance, they help you gain endurance for the greater tests. That's a pretty good picture of faith, right? The challenges, I'm sorry to tell you, don't really get easier all the time. Yeah, you got easier moments, don't get me wrong. There's seasons of peace and calm and quiet, but then that tough time keeps coming back, right? Sometimes worse than you've ever thought before. And the challenges don't get easier, but your confidence in your growth in God Almighty becomes more secure. And so you don't shake as much, but you still shake. You don't fear as much, but you still fear. But you keep moving forward in faith. You keep pressing forward. So back to Josiah real quick. Josiah died, right? kind of unceremoniously died in battle. But his faithfulness to God was realized not on the battlefield or a throne or this great moment of pomp and circumstance, but his faith was realized in being a branch in the family tree of Jesus. Some of you, if you've been paying attention to the fact that this is Christmas and this is sort of a Christmas series, you might have been thinking, well, this is not very Christmassy. <laughs> but do you realize that technically we wouldn't have Christmas to celebrate if Josiah hadn't been faithful? And it took a few hundred years for the fulfillment of his faith is that his, this faithful king was a predecessor of the faithful king, Jesus who came and was born as a little baby, who went to the cross, as we heard this morning already, went to that cross and died for us. But it all started because Josiah was willing to be faithful, even when other people wouldn't. He was willing to put God first in his relationships, even when other people were not willing. And you find Josiah in Matthew chapter 1, in the genealogy of, genealogy of Jesus, that part that if you read Matthew, you probably skip right over. 
But Josiah is hidden in there because of his faith, even when he didn't see the fulfillment of it in his lifetime. In a sense, we've got Christmas because Josiah was faithful. You know, your faithfulness, it may not seem like it's going to bring you some great reward in your life, but your faith plants and waters seeds that echo for eternity. And they produce fruit in eternity. You might not ever get to see it with your own eyes this side of heaven, but it produces fruit for eternity. Hebrews chapter 11, as we, as we mentioned earlier in chapter uh, verse 11, it says this in verse 13, all these heroes of the faith, and that's what it talks about in the first part of Hebrews 11. It says, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. And I want you to know that, that if you decide today, or if you've been doing this already, that I'm going to stand even when nobody else will, and I'm going to prioritize my relationship with God, even if other people don't want to with me, I am being honored by God. I may not see it right now, I may not get the reward right here in my face, but I've got a reward that's better than anything this world could offer me. And so be faithful, be faithful until death. Because the truth is this, great impact requires great sacrifice. It takes a great sacrifice of, of faith and of risk. And when you seek to have life-changing faith, it makes a deep impact even though you may not see it right here and right now. But I can promise you something. If I lost you, come back. Your family, your friends, your neighbors, your grandchildren that aren't even here yet, maybe. People that you might not ever know until we get to heaven. Many of them will be there because of your faith. Because you lived it. In small ways, in big ways, you planted seeds, you watered seeds. So what do we do? What do we do? What, what do we do to make sure that this isn't just a theory? I'm not here just to pump you up and not give you something that you can do right now. If you're struggling with your faith, I want you to take some small baby steps because faith is faith, y'all. So the first thing is this. Start today to respond to the calling that God's putting on your life. No matter how small or how big it is, start today. Because the moment that you say, yeah, I'm going to start that tomorrow, tomorrow hardly ever comes. Because tomorrow always becomes Tomorrow. Me and just, uh, Andrew had this conversation just this week. He's like, um, is tomorrow, he said, is tomorrow today? I was like, in my brain, in my brain it's like, like, no, tomorrow's tomorrow. Tomorrow is going to be today, uh, whatever. You, you know what I'm saying? But that's the way it happens. When you put it off, it just, it just, it, get, it gets lost. And we always put it off what tomorrow does. So start today. And if you don't know, everybody listen to this. If you don't know what God is calling you to do, start praying right now. God, help me to see, help me to hear, help me to know what it is you're calling me to do in faith, no matter how small or how big. If you don't know, start praying. But if you know, start today. And the next thing is this. Take one next move. 
We've got several things here at Movement Church that we invite people to do all the time, and maybe one of these fits you. I'm just trying to give you some ideas to kind of kindle that fire. Maybe you need to say, hey, I'm going to serve. I want to serve here at church. I'm going to get started. I, I, I value my time, and I sometimes hold my time to myself, and I can be a little bit greedy. I, I'm going to serve so other people can take a break sometimes. Maybe it's connect. Maybe you come, and you just sort of sit through the service, and you take off, you jet, I'm going to connect with some people. I'm going to build some relationships. Maybe, maybe just for you, it's starting to attend regularly. We got a great group of people here today. Last week, I, I just have to tell you this. Laura let us know that last week was our highest attendance this year outside of Easter Sunday. That was really cool. Yeah, that's good. And it's probably going to be close to that today. We had like 108 people, I think, this year, uh, last Sunday. 108 people. Do you know that if everybody that comes at least a little bit, like, you know, at least like once a month or once every, you know, few weeks, if everybody showed up on one day, we'd have a, one day we'd have 140 people here, 140. And I don't say that just because, oh, because we simply want more numbers, but you know what? Numbers are people, but here's what's really important. I need you and you need me. We need to encourage one another. And so the more people we get here to encourage one another is the more impact we can have in this community and we can reach out. So maybe for you, it's just starting to be at church more regularly, attending more regularly. Maybe for you, this leap of faith is giving. Maybe for you, it's just simply Bible reading. I'm gonna start reading my Bible every day, even if it's just a verse. Join our, our, our devotion thing that we have on version. Read your Bible. I don't know what yours is, but start doing it today and trust God enough to do it. All of these things are acts of faith for somebody. For some of us, it's already kind of knowledge, but for many of us, it's faith. And here's what I want you to see. Faith that changes lives has to change me. If you want this kind of faith, it's got to change you first. Faith that changes lives has to change me. In 1952, Florence Chadwick was a world-renowned swimmer. She was the first woman back then to have ever swam across the English Channel uh, both ways. I mean, she didn't do it at one trip. She did one time from England to France and then once from France to England. First woman to ever do that. And then her next goal that she set her sights on in 1952 was she wanted to swim from the coast, mainland coast, to Catalina Island off the coast of California. That is treacherous, cold water, and it's just rough, it's shark infested, and it's just a bad day. And as, as you might know about the northern part of the California coast, fog rolls in really quickly a lot of times, and she prepared, and she prepared, and she prepared. They had two teams of boats on either side of her as she swam. They weren't helping her, they were just there with rifles to shoot sharks as they came to try to eat her. This was legit y'all. And she had people coaching her and calling out to her, but she kept on swimming. And she goes and she's making this swim. This swim is 26 miles in the water swimming. That's nuts. And she almost reached her goal and the fog rolled in thick and it got thicker and it got thicker and thicker. And she finally tapped out. She said, pull me up. I can't go anymore. When they pulled her out of the water, they found out that they were a half mile from shore. 25 and a half miles. And she quit. She said in a press conference, she said, I think if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. 
Two months later, she goes back again, and she finishes two hours ahead of the men's world record. Two hours. Yeah. <laughs> Woo! She fired up by that. Florence Chadwick beat the men's record by two hours. She kept her mental image of the shore because guess what? She didn't have a perfect weather day. The fog rolled in again, and she just kept on swimming, kept on swimming, kept on swimming. She kept on swimming because she built in her mind the fact that the shore is there. I know it. I may not be able to see it, but I know it, and so I'm going to keep on swimming. I'm going to keep on fighting, and she listened to the voices of the people that were urging her on, saying, keep going, keep going, keep going. She listened to those who were there, the ones who knew as well as she did that the shore was there, and so here's what I want you to say. Here's what I want you to do is keep your faith on eternity that all of this that you're doing, your struggles, your pain, your heartache, the times when you wonder, God, is this worth it? Know that it's worth it. That we have a place that's waiting for us where we get to live with God face to face. So keep following in faith. And if you allow your faith to change you, your faith will change eternity for you and for others. Keep the faith if you feel like you're at that place where it's the night before faith we'd love to offer you the opportunity to place your faith in Jesus for the very first time if you believe who God is, who Jesus is you can come and you can be baptized into Christ if you're willing to turn away from your sin repent, confess him as Lord he'll forgive you, he'll make you whole and new and he'll give you a fresh start and you could do that today we'd love to see that happen or if you've already been in this journey of faith, but your faith has wavered, I want you to do, like we've talked about the past couple weeks, I want you to say, hey, I want to talk with somebody. I want somebody to pray with me. I need to step out right here, right now, and trust that God is faithful and God is good. And I'm going to get back in the fight, and I'm going to keep swimming, even when I feel like I want to quit. No matter what you do, though, do it today. Let's stand this worship. Thank you for listening to Movement Christian Church's Sermon Podcast. Want to learn more about us? You can do that by visiting our website at movementchristianchurch.com or on our app available on iOS and Android devices under Movement.